Well, there's fear. And then there's paranoia. And then there's fear annoyance, which actually has a definition, believe it or not. It is being scared of being more afraid. Now, how would you like that to be your phobia? What's your phobia? It's greater phobia. What are you a fear of? It's of being more afraid. But what we know is fear is real. It's all around us all the time. This morning, um, I walked into the Garden City campus, first service this morning, and these were the first words that were spoken to me. Someone broke into the church. Great. Those are always good first words to hear. Doors had been, you know, crushed open. Um, there was stuff laying on the floor. Locks were broken. You could tell lock boxes they attempted to go through. Somebody was, you know, looking for something. And I, I, I found it interesting. Um, on my desk, in my office, of which there was, you know, again, the door's broken, the lock's broken, all the drawers are open and stuff's everywhere. And my Bible was laying on my desk. And I'm not a guy that's big into just open the Bible and, you know, find, you know, a magic word, but it was open already. And here's what it says, um, the last part of the text. If I can read it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now come on, Jesus wrote that a long time ago. Because apparently he knew that on this Sunday morning, we would be broken into the Garden City, right? We just needed a word this morning to come from him. I find it interesting that Jesus spoke of such things so long ago. He knew there would be things like thieves in this world. There's the opportunity for fear all around us. And if you'll pay attention to what people speak about in terms of their fear, for most people, their fear is of the unknown. It is about a fear of what's going to happen, a fear of the future. Am I going to experience certain circumstances? But if you'll really think through it, and what I want us to recognize tonight is that the fear of the future is really a fear of the past. Almost always, the fear of what is going to happen is usually based on something that has already happened. It has already been experienced by the person or you've seen it experienced by someone else and now there is a fear that you will feel again what you felt in that moment. What you fear in front of you is actually affected by what you are carrying around with you. Let me see if we can work through a few examples. Let's suppose, I know this is kind of stretching, but let's suppose that your fear is snakes. Anybody fear snakes? You're in church. It's a safe place. If you want to fear snakes, you can fear snakes. Most people who fear snakes 
can tell you the story like it's yesterday. It's like, what was the encounter? What happened to you? It's like, well, I, I lifted up the covers on my bed and there it was, right? Yeah, I did that on purpose because my goal is that tonight every person in the heart of life is going to lift the covers and look underneath before they slide their feet in, right? <laughs> but isn't it true that all it takes is one moment like that and now your opinion is the only good snake is a dead snake, right? You and Indiana Jones are good company, right? But the reason you fear it is because of something you have already experienced. Does that make sense? Well, let's say, let's say it's rejection. People fear rejection. Either you've experienced it yourself or you've seen it in action. Someone that rejected someone else, maybe they didn't give them a chance. It was because of how they looked or how they dressed or where they lived or some other aspect that they couldn't perform at an acceptable level. And so there was rejection. But the reason you fear it is because you have seen it. Let's keep going. This word's almost too big to put on the little piece of paper. People fear commitment. But I think the reason we often fear commitment, someone promised and then they left, right? And, and, and if they couldn't make it work, then am I going to have what it takes to really follow through in, in making a commitment, but it's because you've seen it happen in the past. Let me give you just one more. I think a lot of people in our world Fear when it comes to death. It's the unknown. It's what's out in front, and yet we have seen enough of it around us. Times that we just walk away going, well, that didn't seem fair. Didn't seem, didn't, I didn't think that would happen so soon. Or maybe it's because of a constant diet of hearing about terrorists, or germs, or storms, and you just keep filling in the blanks. I'm convinced that the media has this thing down to a science where they really know how to incite fear and then report on it. And if we're not careful, we all swallow a large dose of it on a regular basis because we hear it, we hear it, we hear it, and it makes us want to build walls around us. But the more we build walls around us, the more it causes us to fear. So tonight, I want us to kick off this series understanding we got choices. We have choices. One choice is to live fearless. Fearless. Now, fearless does not mean the absence of fear. Because some fear is good. Right? Some fear is good. It is good for you to fear standing too close to a ledge that is too tall, you fall off, you're hurt. That's a good fear. Um, I say this often to people when, right before I stand here to speak to you, I fear, I do, but I think it's a good fear. Because I fear because I'm reminded of the responsibility in this moment. And I'm reminded that what is said really does matter. 
in terms of influence and effect, but I'm also reminded to trust. And that there's really only one who holds the power to change the lives of people and hearts of people. I think it's a good fear. I want us to realize tonight, though, there's another choice, not just to be fearless. There is a choice to be fearful. And when I use the word fearful, I'm talking about something toxic, something that consumes our heart. It weakens us. It drains us. It robs us of the ability to live with peace and joy. I think it's what the enemy uses to paralyze us at certain times. And so the question that we're raising tonight, and we want to answer as we walk through this series together, what are you going to build your life on? What are you going to build your life upon? Because if you are fearful, then you are building on a, on, on a, on a feeling. You really are. You're build, build, building on feelings. I, the way I describe it is when you wake up every day and act according simply to how you feel, it's like riding a roller coaster. Now, I like roller coasters. <laughs> But I like roller coasters when I pay my money and I choose when I want to get on and in 90 seconds it's over and then I can decide if I want to get back on or not. But the roller coaster that never ends, the life that's just chaotic and all that's no fun. There's no joy. There's no peace in that. To live fearful is to build on feelings. But to be Fearless is to build on a foundation. And that's what we want to grasp tonight. What is the foundation? This is the way um, I want to give you just a visual to think through it tonight. This is a rock. <coughs> I could have brought a bigger one, but I didn't want to carry it around all day. All right? But it really is. It's a rock. And when I think about foundation, I think of something rock solid. That's why I'm bringing this tonight, right? Rock solid. In contrast to that, how about jello? Anybody like jello? It's all right. Anybody want some jello? Right? It's a good thing I brought my backpack so I can, like, I got everything that I need, honestly. It just happens to be in there. Jello. Strawberry. Right? That's my favorite jello. I like eating jello. But have you ever tried to build on jello? No. Would you, would you build a foundation of a house with jello? No. Would you build the foundation of your life with something like Jello? No. And so what I want us to see tonight is there really is a choice <clears throat> to be fearful or to be fearless. And what we've got to go after is, are we going to base that on something like our feelings that's so shifting and so moving and so weak at times, or are we going to find a foundation on which to build. What's the foundation? Here's what the scripture says. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And some of you may have memorized it growing up. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of 
wisdom. And you can plug those words in. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. But what we're talking about is something we can know. This is not just something we feel. The, the fear of the Lord, what, what, is, what does that mean? If you've been in church for a while, you, you've probably heard it explained. This is not a cringing fear toward a God who is out to get us, but this is a reverence for a holy God. I, I don't think we talk about the fear of the Lord that much. I, I, I hardly ever hear um, much talk on it. We might actually do a, a, a night or a, a talk where we do it in this series. Um, this is the way I would describe it to you. I have walked this out long enough that I am afraid to do life without God. I would be afraid. I would be afraid to try to do life without God's direction. God bringing understanding and wisdom. Um, sometimes, you ever just look around and, and just think to yourself, common sense seems to be so uncommon these days. Well, I think it's because it's really about wisdom. And when we are apart from God, when people don't know the fear of God, there, there's just no wisdom. There's no understanding. There's, there's not this knowing, and therefore the result is the roller coaster ride. It's, it's building on jello. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the Bible also says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Now that's interesting, because we just read the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now we've got there's no fear in love. It's like, is there fear or is there not fear? Well, they really work together. They work together. He's saying perfect love, when perfect love is present, then fear must run. Well, what's perfect love? Well, thank goodness John defines it for us. Some of you know John 3.16. You should also know 1 John 3.16. Here's what he says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. So this is what love looks like. This, this is perfect love. No greater love than we, we used to sing about tonight. Laying down of a life for me. That's how God loves me. Laying down of his life for you. That's how God loves you. But don't miss the rest of the verse. It's not that just that love has been given to us. But then he says what's supposed to happen. We in turn are then to love likewise. We are to love others. The kind of love that has been poured into us, it is, it is poured into others. Well, how, how in the world can that happen? God, I fear that I can't love like you love. Well, check this verse out. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love that verse. That talks to me about a God who doesn't just love me from a distance, but a God who loves from within. A God who takes up residence in us, and by his spirit, it says, he pours out love into our hearts so that there is this effect of to us and then through us. I am loved so that I can love. 
Perfect love drives out fear. How? Because I understand that God loved me. And the cross proves it. And when he pours out his love into my life, then I am able to see those around me who he calls me to love. Listen to me. That is the foundation. That is the rock. It is to be loved, and then it is to love. Love that comes to you, and then love that flows through you. Perfect love drives out fear. When I think of perfect love driving out fear, it's like when one goes up, the other goes down. Kind of like, anybody remember the seesaw? Anybody remember the seesaw? Where, where are all the seesaws? Where have all the seesaws gone? I think it's because everybody in charge of the playground is fearful of the seesaw, right? Because what happens when a kid goes up and then they don't get their feet out from under them when they go down, right? Suddenly somebody's ankle gets crushed, right? Back in the day, we called that wisdom. You learn to move your feet, right? But no, nobody can get hurt anymore. So there's no more seesaws, but you know what I'm talking about. One goes up, the other way. Goes down. The other goes up, the other goes down. Perfect love goes up, fear goes down. Love goes down, fear drops it. And when perfect love goes up, the fear goes down, what happens? The fear of the Lord brings. I see. You can see. I'm going to see. Right? I have understanding. I'm given wisdom. Perfect love drives out fear. I have the wisdom that God wants me to walk with in this life. Now, honestly, I think this is why some people struggle fighting fear. They know that fear is fought through perfect love. And so they know about a God who has given his life, died and rose again to love them. But again, pay attention to the foundation. The foundation is that that is such a love that has been given to me, but then it's supposed to what? Flow through me. Well, what does love look like when it flows through you? This, that's, that's a love that, that is willing to, to move from where I am and go to where the, the needs are, need to be met. It is a love that is willing to give of my, my resources to serve, my gifts, my abilities. It, it is a love that, that gives, right, literally, in terms of, of meeting the needs in people's lives. And so, if I ask you the question, okay then, you have been loved, love that has come to you, how do you pour that out? Who are you sharing Jesus with right now? And who are you serving right now? And how, how is the generosity, the giving in your life right now? And sometimes, sometimes kind of the answer that, that comes back to me is, is people will say, well, Jeff, I mean, the truth is, look, I have just learned to treat everybody with kindness. All right, that just works for me. I, I try to treat everybody with kindness, 
And honestly, I feel like God has primarily called me to serve my family. I think that's who, that's who I serve. And, and, and honestly, I don't really have resources to give. I, just, I, you know, I, I don't know that that, I, but I give of my time. Like, well, that's going to turn the world upside down, isn't it? No, it's not. And that's when I would encourage someone, you need to read how Jesus loved. You need to read what the Bible says about how Jesus defined and demonstrated what love looks like. I think what often happens is that people lack spiritual power because they simply ride the backs of the people of faith and other people give and other people serve and other people share about Jesus and then we call it our church but because there's not a love that's flowing through us only a love that tends to come to us there is not a foundation that is being in place where perfect love drives out fear you see what I'm saying we sit and we absorb the truth there is a God who loves me but perfect love says there is a God who loves me, and then that love flows outward. And when you are going, and when you are serving, and when you are giving, and when you are laying your life down like it has been laid down for you, perfect love will drive out fear. Love is up. Fear is down. So I want to just take the finish of tonight. And I want to give you some practical steps for how we can start to see that happen in our life. How can we really fight against the fear and oil um, that is possible all around us all the time? Let's start by a guy that you're really familiar with if you've ever checked out the Bible. And really, even if you've never checked out the Bible, you're pretty familiar with this guy. His name's David, and he's the one who fought the giant. That's who we're talking about, all right? David fought the giant when he was just a kid, he was young. And the question is, how did he do that? And you might say, well, he, he did it with a sling. And I'm saying, well, how did he get to that? How did he get to the point where he was willing to, to, to take that sling in hand and take a shot at the giant like he did? How did that happen? Here's what I would remind you. David shows up that day not intending to fight. He didn't go there to fight. He wasn't sent there to fight. Do you remember why David shows up on the battlefield that day? Anybody remember? Why is he there? Yeah, he came to check on his brothers. His brothers are older. His brothers are mature enough. His brothers can be in the military, but David's too young, right? He, he, he's too young. He, he's not even qualified to do such. And his dad said, I want you to go check on your brothers. I want you to bring them some food, right? You're going to bring them some more herbs, right? Bring them some crackers and, and that kind of thing. And, and then for the captain, right? Let's bring him a cheese plate, all right? Let's bring him a cheese tray. I'm not making that up. You should read the story. And in case you think the Bible's not detailed, it literally says 10 cheeses, all right? 10 cheeses qualifies as a cheese platter, right? If you ever have a cheese platter, cheese platters are really good. So I can imagine his dad's like, yeah, we got to have some aged, right? we got to have aged cheese like cheddar or Gouda or Swiss, all good stuff. 
On a cheese platter, you gotta have something soft like a brie. You gotta have something firm like a gruyere. You, you gotta have, um, always you gotta have a blue. If there's no blue, it isn't a cheese platter. All right, this is stuff you learn at church from your pastor. If there's no blue, like a, st a Stilton or a, or a Gorgonzola, it's not really a cheese platter. And then there's always walnuts and what? Grapes, right? As though those grapes are going to fix what's going to happen to your system when all that cheese takes in, right? A whole vineyard wouldn't fix what's about to happen, right, if you eat all that cheese. He's like, here's the cheese platter, take it to your brothers, take it to the captain, and off he goes. He gets to the battlefield, and he hears this nine-foot general, a warrior of the Philistines, mocking God's people and mocking God. And David looks around, and God's warriors are doing what? Just shaking. Fear and noia. Nobody's doing anything. Saul is the king who speaks to David 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 33. A familiar, familiar story, but I think it's amazing how much at times we miss what's really said there. Check it out. Saul replied, David, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. That's a guy verse if there is ever a guy verse in scripture, right? Your servant has killed both a lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Let me give you something that I think will help you in your fight against fear. You face the fear in front of you with what God has done behind you. You face the fear in front of you with what God has done behind you. David has what in front of him? A giant, Goliath. When Saul confronts David about the fact that he's not qualified, what does David say? Well, I've kept the sheep for my dad for a long time. And you know what? There was this lion back there. There was this bear back there. Now, I don't have any lions. I don't have any bears in my house. But I do have tigers. So we got a tiger who's standing in tonight for the lions and the bears. And I, 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 I made sure that we could clarify what kind of tiger he actually is. Okay. There we go. So you can be safe, all right? Here's, here's what David says. There was that time that a lion came 
And he took one of those sheep, and you know what I did? I went after him. I went after him. There's no long-range rifle back in David's day, right? He goes after the lion, and he strikes it, and he takes, he rescues the sheep, right? And then he says there was this bear, did the same thing, taking the sheep. I hunted it down. I, I just love the life. I grabbed it by the hair. I struck it. I killed it. He's like, that's what's happened in my past. And he borrows what God has done faithfully in his past in order to face what is in his future. That's what you got to do with fear. You got to face the fear in front of you using what God has faithfully done behind you. And I'm convinced this is one of the things that I've studied recently in just my own personal kind of as a read through scripture and, and study. I, I studied the Psalms and David talks to himself. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that or not, but I promise you look for it. David talks to himself. Now, he will, he will write a psalm, a psalm where he's declaring some truth about God. And he writes it so that all of Israel and therefore all of us would know this is who God is. But he turns right around in that psalm. And if you read it, he talks to himself. He will say the truth that he just said to you. He will say it to himself. Why does he do that? Aren't people crazy who talk to themselves? I'm convinced that most of us would be better off if we did more talking to ourselves than we did listening to ourselves. Because what happens in the lives of too many people is that we wake up every morning and we feel certain things and we think certain thoughts. And if you just let those feelings and thoughts dictate what goes on throughout your day, it's like building on jello. But when you wake up in the morning and you feel certain things and you think certain things, you may have to talk to yourself about the foundation that you know to be true and solid, and you need to talk yourself back toward rock, solid, So if we do that with our past, okay, I'm carrying around that fear of rejection. That's, that's, that's real. People have done it to me. People have done it to you. where I'm going. People have done it. But God has never rejected me. Moments that I'm pretty unlovable, He still loves me. In my weaknesses, in my failures, He still loves me. So I'm saying it's a choice that I can make. This is a part of my past. It's part of what I've experienced, but I can choose whether or not I want to simply bring back from behind me the pain that I have felt in rejection, or if instead I'm going to choose to bring up the foundation of a God who has never, ever rejected me. That's the difference. So what about commitment? 
Well, there's pain. Pain that comes when people promise something and then they don't. If you haven't lived long enough, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give you this bit of, of wisdom. People, people will be with you until they perceive something better. It happens. I'm not saying everybody's like that, but I'm saying throughout your life you're going to experience it. You experience it where you work, right? You work beside people and all of a sudden something better comes along and what do they do? There you go. Preach pastors do it. I, I, I watch pastors do it, right? We, we love people and love flocks, and then, but as soon as something better comes along, I'm saying nobody's exempt from this. It is the tendency of what we, we tend to do. You ready? God has never left me. Ever. And I've learned that even in the moments when I don't understand what he's doing, I stick with him. Because he's never failed on me. And he spells commitment, covenant. And he never, ever breaks his covenant. How about death? Death still stings. Happens around us all the time. Happens around us all the time. But the truth, the rock solid truth, is that people who trust in God, death is not period. It is a comma. It is just a passing to being with him forever and ever and ever. And this is what I have experienced in times of dealing with death. I have seen God give me a peace that truly makes absolutely no sense except in his miraculous power. He gave me peace. That's the foundation of Does he say anything about snakes? <laughs> Actually, he does. It's not very far in. Just a few chapters into Genesis. There is an encounter where the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and he will crush your head. My God wins. That is the foundation upon which we build our fear. And every day, there really is a choice. The stuff that I drag around with me, that's just a part of what I've experienced. I can either just focus on the painful part. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we ignore all the pain. I'm not saying we don't deal with the pain. We're going to talk about that as we roll through this series. But the bigger choice is to be reminded there is a foundation of a God who is always faithful. And he always wins. You've got to fight the fear in front of you with what God has done behind you. Just a couple more, and these don't take as long, but I just want to mention to you tonight. Practical step number two, stay away from scenario sickness. That's what we're calling it, scenario sickness, which simply means the constant what if, because that's the game we play in our fear. What if, what if this, what if, what if that, what if this, what if, what if that happens? 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right? He's right. And so uh, the constant, uh, what if? Can you imagine David going, what if I miss? I'm convinced he never would have took a shot. Never. Well, what if I miss? Well, what if I don't make the team? What if I get fired? What if they leave me? What if I run out of money? What if I get sick? I mean, there's a million of them. What if, what if, what if? I don't know if this makes you feel better or worse, but whatever you tend to think will happen usually is not what happens. Have you figured that out yet? We play the what if game. We do it with relationships. I'm going to tell them this, and then when they say this to me, I'm going to say this. It never works out that way, does it? No, the game always changes. It always moves. It's the same way with all of it. We, we dream these things, what if, what if, and it never turns out that way. Just thinking about through some of the examples of trying to walk out, you know, a faith in God. Think about sharing Jesus with people. We have a tendency to go, what if, what if they laugh at me? Which I think is kind of laughable. Because we don't live in a world where we think about what if they torment me? What if they put me in prison? No, the worst thing we can come up with is what if they laugh at me, right? I can either constantly wonder what if they laugh at me, or I can stand on the foundation of a God who has said, I will make you fishers of men. This is who you are. Go get them. That's the foundation on which we stand. I, I, I thought back this week about some of the mission stuff we do. Um, and specifically, my mind went back to the first time we ever went to Togo, which is a country in West Africa that we as a church have, have connected to, and we've been there for some 10 years now. But I remember the first time we were supposed to go to Togo. We were going to go check it out and see what God wanted us to do there. It's a third world country. I, I've never been to any place like that. And I'm telling you, I remember laying in my bed thinking, what if? I mean, this is a part of the world I've never been to. This is, this is something, the level of, of just reaching that I've never experienced. What if I don't come back? I did. No giants ever fall with what ifs. They don't. Giants only fall when I stand on a foundation that says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. And there we go. Think about how many different things we've what if. How about being a parent, right? Just can you remember, right, when parenthood, it's like being a parent, it's like, what if I fail? Here's my news. You will. Just encouraging news from the pastor. You will. If you're going to be a parent, you will fail at some part of it. There's too many moving pieces, right? There, there's too many things at play. You're trying to figure them out. Everything changes. Everything moves. You're going to fail. But the foundation is what? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to those 
who loved him. He is God. He's the one who, who is the heavenly father of them anyway. He's the one who's going to give our family. He's going to give our children. He is going to be the good father that meets all my failures. Those are the foundations on which we stand. Face the fear in front of you with what God has done behind you. Stay away from scenario sickness. What if? And practical step number three, introduce your fear to your God. Introduce your fear to your God. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I like that one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Don't deify your fear because your fear is not equal to God. It's not. Your fear is no match for God unless you've got a puny God. But if you're worshiping the God that we came here tonight to worship, then your fear is no match for him. If God is for us, then who can be against us? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Remember when you were a little kid, or maybe this happened to you last night, um, you're laying in your bed and it's dark, and maybe it's a night like last night where the thunder is rolling like big enough that literally our house shakes last night when the, when the thunder was, was rumbling and the lightning's outside. And when you're a little kid and it's dark, it's like, Ooh. here's the questions I had. I wonder what's under my bed. And I wonder what's in my closet. The truth, nothing. Nothing was under my bed, nothing was in my closet. But that was only realized when I would turn the light on and look under my bed. And when the light was turned on and I looked under my bed, the reality was revealed. Light reveals the truth. And you know what? That's exactly what God does to our fear. Our fear seems so overwhelming at times. It is so scary at times that literally the enemy can use it to paralyze you. I wonder well, what's under the bed. I wonder what's in the closet. I wonder what's around the corner. I wonder what if, what if, what if. But when you introduce your fear to your great God, when you introduce your fear to the God who turned the light on in you, he's the one who gave you the ability to see how he loves you. The one who has now empowered you with that love, pouring it into your heart that you now have the ability to see the needs around you and to meet those needs in his strength. The God who died for you arose from the dead. He is my light and he is my salvation. And when you turn that light on in any room, Perfect love. What? Drives out fear. We spend typically most of our time telling God about our fear. God, what if this happens? And what if this fails? And what if this doesn't come through? And what if we don't get this? What if I don't pass? And what if da-da-da-da? And we tell our God about our fears. 
some of us need to spend a little time telling our fears about our great God. And your fears, in view of your God, suddenly become king. As we kick off this series, we're asking God to turn the light on in regards to our fear. And may we know what it means for perfect love to drive it out. Tonight, I'm just going to pray for us as we, as we close. And then you're going to hear um, a song they're going to do for you. Um, you can sing it if you want to. As always, you can always sing along if you want to. But this is one of those where I, I want you to take tonight to begin this process of dealing with our fear, whatever that is. And we got, I bet you we would be amazed that just the smattering of fear across the room, different things that different ones of us are concerned with. We fear this, we fear that. In this song, I, I want you to take it as the opportunity to introduce your God to your fear. And just zero in on how big he is and who he has always been for you. And that God would start to turn that light on and see fear run. Then, by the time we're done, we'll celebrate a little bit. We'll sing together about the foundation of who he really is. All right? Let's pray. God, I, I am truly...